Welcome to Global River Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Lord, I thank you this morning for your amazing grace. How could we live and not see? I love that song. How could we live and not see what you did for us? God, open our spiritual eyes for the revelation. Lord, we need rhema. We, we, the logos word, the written word is nice, but without the revelation of the word that becomes illuminated to our hearts and mind, we really can't see. But you promised that all who would seek you would find you, that all who search for you would find you. So, Lord, help us to set aside our own understanding. Proverbs 3 is my family verse, 3, 5, and 6. Trust the Lord, trust the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding. You can have understanding, but if you lean on it, it'll lead you astray. But trust Him with all your heart and He'll direct your pathway. He will direct your path. So, God, I thank you this morning. Hide us under the shadow of the wing and just, Holy Spirit, bring truth. Revelate to your word this morning because we know it's full of living power. And we give you praise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm going to do part two. I had a lot of uh, comments about last week's service, actually, and uh, someone came to me and said, please unpack more of the, the first, second, and third heaven. What is that about? I've not heard a teaching like that before, so I want, to, I want to do that. So let me try to get us, if you'll pull out your outline, if you haven't received one, there's some out in the foyer, but I would encourage you to write down the Scriptures. One of the things that um, Pastor Willie and I always comment about is we give lots and lots of Scripture. Because if it's not in the Word, then you can challenge it. But if it's in the Word, you're going to be held accountable for it, right? And so, I want to just kind of summarize last week. The title of both of the messages last week and this week is, what spiritual season are we in? And once you understand the season, what do we do about it? Or more importantly, what shouldn't you do about it? <laughs> there's some things that you should do, and there's some things you should not do. So, in that top paragraph, we are in a significant season of transition. I can't imagine a year like this year in my past. It is incredible. Both the significance of this transition, it's spiritual, definitely spiritual. It's political. It's emotional. And there's lots of physical stuff at work. We see it both globally. This COVID virus has killed so many people. They say that uh, we're headed towards 150,000 deaths in the United States. Probably could be more. And so, we were looking at, um, my wife and I have been watching a series on the Revolutionary War. Do you know that over 800,000 people died during the Revolutionary War? More were killed as a result of smallpox than they were actually by conflict. And so, these plagues and stuff have been, you know, been here, uh, but this is a particular time in our, at least in our lifetime, where we see lots of fear and confusion. I, I love Bishop's word, he's with us. <laughs> so, this whole fear and confusion, lots of anger, defiance that's manifesting, and there are people that want to tear it all down. They want to rip it all up and tear it all down. 
Last week we looked at a lot of scriptures. I'm not going to repeat all these, but I've got them listed here. I looked at what both Jesus told us, what Paul told us, that in Matthew 24 and Luke 21, Jesus said, very perilous times, Paul said the same things, perilous times would come, right? That you would see a season of life that will never be as bad as ever again. In fact, he promised if he didn't shorten it, the very elect would be lost, would be deceived. And so he warns us, and we see those scriptures. I've got them listed there in 1 Timothy. In 2 Timothy, Paul said some of the signs of that would be they would be lovers of themselves, haters of what is good, forbidding to marry, right? In fact, there's more people living together today than there are married ever. First time ever in the history of the nations. That's wild. And Paul predicted that would come. And so we see that in First and Second Timothy, the warnings that would be there. Then he goes on, and I shared out of what I believe are three spirits that are operating in the book of Jude. In fact, Jennifer LeClaire's Bible study that we, my wife and I do every morning, she, this was about the same scriptures. She listed in that the, the study of Jude, and he lists in that book, we did a Bible study for three weeks about a month ago, Daniel, Daniel Christian did it, and uh, we looked at the three spirits that I believe are operating right now. You can see them. Just turn on the news, open your newspaper, go on live stream, and you'll see what's going on today. There is a jealousy and a hatred of racial injustice, hatred that's being divisive in the nation. That's a spirit, and it's a Cain spirit. Remember, Cain slew his own brother, and the Lord warned him, in your anger, I see sin is crouching at the door, Cain. Be careful, or it will devour you. It did. It devoured him. That hatred, that jealousy, that competition, that critical spirit is operating. Just look at what's going on. That's a spirit. Remember, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so we're wrestling against the spirit. The other spirit that we see is this deception. How is it that people, I mean, I look at sometimes, I said, what planet are these people operating on? I mean, there's such a deceptive spirit operating right now. Look at this. It's like, this has nothing to do with George Floyd. I shared this last week. Yes, that was an injustice. We all hated what we saw. That's got to get corrected. That police officer should be judged and put in prison, maybe executed. That was deliberate. There's no question about that. But what's happening now in Seattle and in Chicago and all the major cities of tearing down, burning up federal buildings, over 450 police officers injured, three of them blinded, people throwing Molotov cocktails, shooting cops. You think that's not a spirit? And what spirit do you think these people are operating in? Come on. And so when you sit there, now boil it back and let's take another spirit. They call it choice. How is it that when a woman gets pregnant, you don't believe that's a child? Just wait long enough and you'll see it. So how, I mean, I mean, please help me. What, where is your brain? And so the, when you look at things, it's like some of the things they say and are doing are just, it, it just knocks you for a loop. It's like if they are calling evil good and good evil, we're in that spirit. That is a spirit of deception. It said there'll be come a time where there'll be a falling away and they will give in to doctrines of demons. They will be captured by deceiving spirits of demons. That is operating in our nation right now. And if you don't think we need to pray, we need to pray. We need to come and set aside our own agenda and get on our face and say, God help us. We got to have it. 
That third spirit is that spirit of Korah. It is a spirit of rebellion. In Numbers 14, I may preach on this in a couple of weeks, but if you go look at that spirit, that, that preaching that was done by Moses and, and declared what Korah did, Korah was a prominent leader in Israel. And he got 250 other prominent leaders and led a rebellion against Moses. And God took care of that mess. He swallowed them up. And so there is a spirit of rebellion. What is rebellion? Rebellion is, as the spirit of witchcraft, 1 Samuel 15. If you rebel against legitimate authority, that is a spirit of rebellion. Now, we understand that there are times when the leadership goes off track, they need to be rebuked and removed. You see it. That's legitimate justice. But when they are operating under legitimacy of the Scriptures, or they're, they're duly elected, Romans 13 says, pray for those who are in authority, because God put them there. Whether you like Mr. Trump or not, or you like Mr. Obama or not, that has nothing to do with what it is. It still have to pray for them. And if you see them off track... When, when Obama started pushing hard on the homosexual agenda, we started to pray against that because that does not line up with the book. We love those that are caught in the sin, but at the same time, we are not in agreement. And when our Supreme Court approved this legitimacy of marriage that is not in the book, for in the beginning, God created them male and female. And so we love the sinner, but guess what? We will not compromise the book. But it still means that we pray for those in authority, that God, they're off track, and we ask that you'd intercede. Throughout Scripture, there were these times when Israel's leaders got in, got out, up and down. One was following. We think of Josiah, the, the little boy who was eight years old when he becomes king. When he's 16, he starts recovering Israel, tearing down the high places, destroying witchcraft, pulling down Baal. By the time he's in his 20s, guess what? He had raised up a people, a group that have come after God, and they discover the word that was hidden in the temple when his grandfather locked the doors to the temple. God has got his people everywhere, and there are seasons that we need to pray for, but we don't compromise, and we're not ashamed of this gospel. We are not ashamed of it. It's the truth. And so... We support legitimate authority. We rebuke it when it's not legitimate. We stand in agreement. But there's a spirit of rebellion going on right now that is a spirit. It is a spirit of witchcraft. And I've listed that jealousy spirit of deception and rebellion. And I see it. We can look at it. We looked last week. There's similar time when they were about ready to make David. As soon as King Saul had got into witchcraft, and the Lord took his hand off Saul and said, I'm sorry that I ever made him king. It was his free will. He chose it wrongly. David is raised up as king. And what happens? We see that in First Chronicles. I listed it there. In First Chronicles, there's this invert chapter 10 through uh, chapter 16. But David is about to become king because Saul has been killed. And all the 12 tribes start to come together to make David king. They remember the prophecy of the Samuel the prophet who said David, 25 years earlier, had been anointed to be king, one of the sons of Jesse, and now the fulfillment of all that time. And so David becomes king. There was a group of leaders out of the tribe of Issachar. We listed that last week and saw it here. It says in that First Chronicles chapter, there were leaders from 200 of them from the tribe of Issachar, who knew what season it was, and they knew what to do. And they approached David, they threw their allegiance behind David, and that's where we're at. We need some leadership that understands what season are we in, and then what do we do about it? 
Well, what don't we do about it? And so that's our heart, is asking the Holy Spirit to bring that revelation. And then I finished there in number five. Remember what this was to represent? Those of you who are not here, I went and bought this lure. That's a $10 lure. That thing when you're, it says it's one of the most uh, impressive lures when you're trolling behind your boat. And so, what does it look like? You got to watch out because, man, you can get stuck. I caught Katie's shoes last night, and I, and I couldn't get her socks off of it. So, I knew it was all, man, when that thing gets on you, it's like, wow. What does it look like? And when it's running through the water, all right, it looks like what it's not. What's a lure? It's something that's fake that is in, in, intended to ensnare you. That's got triple hooks, double. And if that thing were to swallow, mm, man, you'd be hooked. So what do we hear? Don't take the bait. Right now there's a bunch of bait. Well, let's, let's analyze that. What, what's some of the, the bait that's out there? One is some of the deception that's going right now. I don't know about you, but um, when I got on the news the other night and I watched what they were doing, they had the lasers out and the, the terrorists, that's what they are, they're anarchists, they're, some of them they believe are paid, right? Antifa and them. They took out a laser and they, they apparently blinded three police officers. That was the report. They shined a laser light and deliberately blinded three of our police officers. When I saw that, and then I saw, if you remember during the, the riots in upstate New York, five men came to a little white woman's um, place of business. She came out because they were throwing rocks through her window of her, of her store, and she said, please stop. They picked up a two-by-four, and they beat, five men beat this woman. And I'm watching this on TV, and I'm telling you what, the bait was rising in me. Give me my gun. I'll take care of this situation. Right? And then I realized, whoa, time out. I'm being captured by the same violent spirit. And so we, now I'm not saying you don't defend yourself. Don't ever misinterpret what I'm saying there. We're going to talk about that probably in the next few weeks. We're going to look at the line because I've had people say, Pastor, what's the line between pacifism and protection? And I've got tons of scriptures I've been unpacking this with this, but I, that's not the sermon for today. But you can take the bait. You can get caught up in the same spirit of anger and violence. You can watch the George Floyd murder and get so wrapped up in that that you blame all police officers. And that's a lie. That's not true. Those same police officers are the ones when your house is burning down or someone's breaking in, you dial 911. They're the ones that come. So this idea that we're going to defund the police and tell them we don't want you, are you crazy? What other, again, where's your brain? Who do you think's going to take care of? We're going to have some social worker come when somebody's standing in your house to kill you? I mean, come on, seriously. Let, let's wake up and understand, wait a second. There are those that are legitimate, honest police officers, first responders. We need to honor them. We need to ask for God's blessing over them. We need to weed out the ones that are not doing their job correctly. They need to go to jail. They need to get fired. That's true. We need to have justice in the system. But this is the best country ever. We are not a perfect nation. I understand all the things that have happened to the Native Americans, to, to racial injustice. 
to, to look at the immigrants. I mean, picked it up. We went over that. Lisa preached on social injustice, and she happened to focus on a particular group, the Latinos and where they've come. There's injustice everywhere. I've been in probably more nations than most of any of you, and I have seen injustice from every angle, from poverty to the, to the class system in India, to the what's going on, to the Hindus re rebuking our Christian churches in Nepal. I've seen it all. We've seen it in Israel, the hatred between the Muslims and the Arabs. It is just, it's a spiritual battle. It's not new. It's, it's fomented by the God of this world, Satan, right? But at the same time, so we don't want to take the bait. We have to be careful. But at the same time, we will not go quietly against injustice. And so I want to unpack this more now as we pick up so what should we do? Well, one, don't take the bait. I want us to now look at, I, I showed you last week that we should prepare for hurricanes. In fact, out there, there's a handout given to us by um, the food bank folks on how to prepare for the hurricane. I'm sure that some of you, you know, looked at this storm, I believe is going to die and go away in Jesus' name. But you still should be, it says in Scripture that a prudent person sees what's coming and makes preparation. Right, we said last night, last week we looked at, if you're living in this region and you're familiar with hurricanes, you ought to know your evacuation route. You're not going to go camp out on Cape Hatteras during the storm. Probably not a good idea to go to Wrightsville Beach during the storm, right? If it's not mandatory evacuation, you might be wise to leave. You need to know batteries and water tie down, preparation. If you're living on the beach, you might want to board up. So we know in the natural this preparational things that we do. Well, why are we not preparing in the spirit realm? And so Jesus warned, and I shared this scripture last week, Jesus warned the Pharisees. He said, you can tell me what the weather's doing. You know, red sky in the morning, right? Sailor take warning, red sky at night, tailor's, de uh, sailor's delight, right? Well, he says, you can read the signs of the weather but you've missed the whole spiritual time. And so we as a people need to be tied in spiritually. So let's look at the question that I really have for us is what heaven are you operating from? What heaven do you operate from? In your belief system, in the way you operate in circumstances of life, where do you naturally go to where are you seated, if you will, and how are you responding from which part of your seat system in the heavens? Are you operating from the third heaven or are you operating from the natural realm or the second realm heaven? It's kind of like, remember Leif Hetland, some of you probably have heard his teaching. Chair number one, chair number two, chair number three, I think that's similar. Chair number three is the unsaved. That's the natural, unsaved person, natural realm. Chair number two is a carnal Christian. They look at things so much, and they have a, a revelation, understanding of God, but they operate in the second chair, which is more of a fleshly, carnal way of responding. But then chair number one is the, chair, is the person who operates in the spiritual realm. So let me give some scriptures around this, and let's, first of all, the first heaven. If you look at your handout, in Genesis 1, in fact, the first verse of the first book of Genesis 1 he plurally deals with heavens. Let me turn there. In Genesis chapter 1, in verse 1, 
In the beginning, God. He created the heavens, notice the plurality, and the earth. King James says, in the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In the New Living, it's plurality, most translations. And the earth was formless and empty. Then you go down in verse 8, it says, God created this space and he called it sky. In verse 7, he says, he separates the waters from the earth and the waters from the heavens. And so we see that God created the heavens. That's the natural realm, right? He put the sky, that's where we have all of our challenges with weather and movements of systems across the earth, rain, clouds, all that stuff. That is the first heaven. Well, the second heaven is a spiritual realm. We're going to unpack that in more detail. We'll look at Ephesians 6 in a minute. But let's talk about the third heaven. Let's go there first. If you'll turn with me to 2 Corinthians in chapter 12. Paul, I shared this, I introduced this last week, but I didn't get a chance to unpack it. Paul says this, let's, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians 12. I'm going to look at both New Living Translation, the thought for thought, and I'll bounce into the King James, the word for word translation. Paul is, has been challenged by some of the, quote, super apostles who he is accusing them of bilking the church and he then defends himself and boasts. He says, I shouldn't boast, but then he boasts, and he goes on and he boasts. You know, he goes, it's, it's an interesting description. But he goes, in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, 2 Corinthians 12, 1, this boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Now, just stop there for a minute. You remember in... Galatians 1, he said, after his conversion, after Paul's conversion, remember, he's, he's blinded for three days, he's knocked off, and he's, he's uh, sitting in blindness, God sends a prophet to him, lays hands on him, the scales fall off his eyes, a prophetic word is given, he's baptized in the Holy Ghost, right? And it says, he immediately then went for three years into Arabia. And he says he has direct revelations from God. Interesting song. Here's this uh, probably very highly taught Jewish leader. He was taught by Gamal. He was, he, was he was very well trained as a Jew. But he says, God's got to teach me now because obviously I miss this. <laughs> and when, when Jesus knocks him off his horse and blinds him, he says, why do, you, why do you come against me? Why are you kicking against the goads? Why are you resisting me, Paul? So what does Paul do? He goes into the wilderness for three years to be instructed by the Holy Ghost. During that time, it appears here, in one of his times, he is caught up into the third heaven. Let's read on. I was caught up, verse 2, 2 Corinthians 12, 2. I was caught up into the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, only God knows whether I was in my body or outside my body. But I do not know that I was caught. I do know that I was caught up to paradise. Important word if you want to look that up in the Greek. And I heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things that no human can tell. You're not allowed to tell it. First, it was so astounding, he doesn't even have words for it. But he says, even if I had words for it, I wouldn't be permitted to tell you what I saw. 
But obviously it really impacted him. So he was caught up into the third heaven, which he calls paradise. Okay, turn with me now. Stay with me. Luke chapter 23. In Luke 23, remember Jesus is on the cross. There's a thief on one side and a thief on the other. So in Luke's gospel, chapter 23, in verse 40. The same word is used. It says, remember, the one criminal is there, and he's mocking Jesus. He says, if you're really the Messiah, why don't you get down, and why don't you also save us? And the other thief says, how can you mock him? We are guilty of our sin. We deserve what we're going to get. But he's an innocent man. And then this is the revelation of the heart of one who's given himself over to Christ. He turns the thief hanging there, knowing that he's doomed, turns to Jesus and he says, will you remember me when you get to your kingdom? Boy, that statement. And what's Jesus' response? I assure you, today, today, you will be with me in paradise. Same word. We know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There's this place where all of a sudden when you pass into that veil to the other side, it's over. It's over. But what Jesus recognizes in the thief is he just recognized me as Messiah. And guess what? That's all it takes. He wasn't baptized. He probably never went to a Bible study. He didn't get, he didn't walk the aisle. He didn't, he just, you are Messiah. Remember me. Messiah, remember me. I guarantee you today, you're going to be with me in that place. It's like, now why the other thief didn't, man, that's such a hardened heart. How can you get to such a reprobate heart just before you die? My goodness. All right. So we see that there was, there's paradise. Turn with me to Revelation now, chapter 2. Stay with me. Revelation chapter 2. I want you to see these words. I'm building this foundation of the third heaven paradise and what it means. And we're going to show you that that's the place we need to be seated in. Okay, in Revelation chapter 2, let's begin in Revelation 2. Revelation 2, it starts, let's begin in verse, um, let's look at verse 3. And this is to the church at Ephesus. No, let's look at verse 7. We'll begin there. In, in verse 7, he says this, the church at Ephesus. Write this to the angel of the church. Oops, I'm in chapter 3. Hold on. Let me get to 7. Anyone who has ears to hear must listen to what the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. Revelation 2, 7. Anyone who has ears, listen to the Spirit and understand. Have understanding and revelation to what He's saying. To everyone who is victorious, what does that look like? I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. There's that same word again. I want you to see there's a tree growing, and those who continue in the perseverance of their faith through all that's going on, there will be a time where you're going to be able to eat from that tree that is located in God's garden, and it's called paradise. All right, moving on, turn to Revelation chapter 12. 
We shared here last week, but I want to unpack a little more here because I want you to see spiritual. This is about spiritual warfare and how are we going to persevere in what's coming on the earth. In Revelation 12, he says this, there was a war in heaven. Okay, let's begin. Well, let's begin in verse 1. Revelation 12, 1. I witnessed in heaven an event that was so significant, of great significance. This is Paul, the, this is John the Revelator. That he saw both the moon, the star, he saw labor pains, he saw this birthing process. He said in verse 3, I witnessed in heaven another significant event, a large red dragon, seven heads, ten horns. This is all spiritual now. This is a spiritual revelation. Seven crowns on his head, his tail swept away one-third of the stars. I want you to see, this is where most people you'll see in a few more verses down the line. Most believe that this is the war in heaven where Satan in his rebellion against God because he wanted to be God, right? He was Lucifer. Remember he said he was a star? He was a star. Some scriptures talk about him, the morning star. Both Jesus and Jesus is the first and morning star. But Lucifer wanted to be and he was a star. We say that, see that in Isaiah 14. And it says he swept with his tail one-third of the other stars. In their rebellion against God, we saw that in Jude, though they rebelled, there was a free will of angels who rebelled against God. They're kicked out of heaven. That's the good news. He's kicked out of paradise. He's kicked out of the third heaven. Let's read on. It says in verse, let's pick up verse 7, Revelation 12, 7, there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. That's the good news. That great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one who's deceiving the world, was thrown down to earth with all of his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across heaven, it has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ and the accuser of the brothers and sisters who have been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. They have defeated him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives even so much as to be afraid to die. Therefore rejoice those who are in heaven rejoice. Those who live in the heavens. Now look at that verse. Those who live in the heavens rejoice, but terror will come to the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down with great anger, and he has very little time. He pursues the woman. Look, drop down to verse 17. He pursues the seed or the remnant. King James says, the dragon came to make war. He was wroth with the woman, and he went to make war with the remnant of the woman's seed, those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus. The dragon was angry. New Living says it this way. The dragon was angry at the woman, and he declared war against the rest of her children and all who keep God's commandments and maintain their testimony. So there's a lot of people that declare they know Jesus, love Jesus. This says if you keep the moral commandments, the Ten Commandments, you keep the moral commandments and your life is a testimony of that keeping of the commandments. That's the one who's making war. All the ones that say, yeah, I love Jesus, they're sleeping, doing drugs, doing everything out there. Where's your testimony? So he, this is the place where he's already made war, but I want you to see he was kicked out of the third heaven. 
The archangel comes. There's a battle. One-third of demonic forces. So this is the place where now this sits a whole, when you build precept upon precept. Now let's go on and let's see. Turn with me. We won't, we won't go there, but you know this scripture. You can jot it down. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 is just another. God of this world is Satan. Those whose minds have been blinded. 2 Corinthians, well, let's go there for a second because it, it's important. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. If you wonder where the deception is right now in the earth and why all these people are acting so bonkers, good Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness. So the God of this world, we shouldn't be surprised that the world is in a mess. All right, Ephesians 6, a very familiar scripture, but turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians 6. I want to delve into the spiritual warfare side of this and show you that you're supposed to be seated in the third heaven spiritually and operate from there. All right. Verse 10, Ephesians 6.10. Final word, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers. Now look at the hierarchy. Evil rulers, authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers, against the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now Paul's going to use this language, heavenly places. King James says high places. If you look at Old Testament Scripture, we won't go there, but every time they went to pull down all the demonic places, Baal, Asherah, they had all gone to the high places. We've been to some of those places, right, Mike? We've gone, there's been places. We've gone to the places where the enemy has tried to establish the high ground, the high places. And so what the Lord's saying here through, through uh, Paul is we're going to fight these things, but I want you to recognize there are evil spirits in heavenly places. So in the heavenly realms, the three heavenly realms, we've already seen that there's the third heaven, Paul was there. We saw there was a war that kicked him out, so he's not there, right? He's thrown down. But then there are two heavens that are left. There's the natural realm where we look up and look at our blue sky, and then there's the planetaries, go out into the planets and into the universe. That realm, those two realms are where Satan operates. But there's a place beyond those that is paradise, which is where we go. Now, some of you... I, I love, at some point we're going to get Karen to give her testimony. Of, I heard it the other day on, when Pastor Terry was doing our teaching. When she was a young, how old were you when you died? 16 died and saw her body looking down, saw the place and said, there's this place. Many have said they went into a, this like long tunnel where there was light, right? Go and look at this books written on this thing. But I want you to know, this is not a game. These are things Paul said, I saw it. I was there. I can't even tell you what I saw. I'm not authorized to tell you. All I'll tell you is it exists and I was there and it's in the third heaven. And so, and then Paul tells us there's another heaven and there's another earthly realm that we fight in and we don't resist the same way. Okay, that's Ephesians, right? Turn with me a couple of chapters. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. 
It says in Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 3. Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Guess what? Because of your belief in Jesus, you get blessed in all three realms. You get blessed in the natural realm. It says, I'm going to be blessed in the land of the living. You operate in that place. You sow and you reap. He said he would pour it out. In Malachi, those who give me tithes and offerings, I'll bless them so much you won't be able to contain it. Right? And so we see that. He says, you're going to be blessed in, in all the heavenly places. Well, look at chapter 2. King James, that's King James. New, New, uh, New Living Translation says it this way, verse 3, Ephesians 1, 3. Praise God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every, every spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, plural, because we are united with Christ even before the foundation of the earth. Now look, drop down to chapter 2. Ephesians 2, he says this, verse 6, For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Do you see that's past tense? Let me read the whole uh, context of this chapter. Look at Ephesians 2, 1. We'll read a couple of verses here, a few verses. Once you were dead, can I get an amen on that? We read that, we sang that this morning. Thank you for his goodness and his grace. The crimson stain of sin has been washed away, right? You were once dead because of your disobedience and because of your many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Can I get an amen? Following the passionate desires and inclinations of the sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God. But God is so rich in his mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sin, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. And it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and look at the past tense, seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Because we're united with Christ, we can look to all the future ages and all the incredible wealth and grace. So here's the point. We live here. I'm a natural man in this body, right? And yet I'm seated already in the third paradise heaven next to Christ. Christ is seated up there, amen? When he was ascended, he was ascended to seat next to the Father at the right hand of God. And then he says, you're going to be seated. You already are seated with me. It's like... That's why I like the concept that Leif uses. The, when you're in chair number one, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, God is good, I'm so victorious. And then what happens? Have a fight with your spouse, get a bill you can't know how to pay. Somebody says you're this or that and the other thing, and all of a sudden we just move from love, joy, peace, goodness to, ugh. Right? I'd like to bless that guy with a brick, and uh, my wife, the woman you gave me, Lord, and, and then God reveals she's probably right. And, and now i got to get over here and repent. Sonny, honey, I'm so sorry. And I'm over back in chair number one. 
Now, I know that never happens to y'all, right? But it's just me, right? And so, we have to stay seated in that heavenly realm. But you can get off the seat, get down here, oh, poor Pearl B, oh my God, everything's going so bad, nobody's taking care of me. Don't they see what they were doing, all these Democrats, these Republicans, right? I'm just speaking to me right now. My wife's probably going, calm down. Yeah, I know. I say it's passion and she says you're growling. I, I don't know. Anyway. Okay. If he, she's right. Oh, great. <laughs> Amen, honey. You're right. Okay. So, we see that we are seated in the heavenly realms. Well, what are we supposed to do about this? We want to operate. Now, this is we're going to shift to what do we do now or what don't we do. We want to operate from that seated place in the heavens. We don't want to wrestle against the wrong kind of stuff. So, turn with me. This is another familiar scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians 10 and verse 3. Let's begin there. You're getting a real Bible study this morning. We're all over the place, right? 2 Corinthians 10. Now, Paul says this. In, obviously, he knew some stuff about spiritual warfare, and he's, he's speaking to a Corinthian church that is a mess. <laughs> they got all sorts of issues. They got immorality going on. They got anger. They got this guy living with his mother-in-law. They didn't know what to do. They're kind of looking at the other. And he says, man, put that guy out of the church. He's dealing with them, right? They go to communion. They're getting drunk at communion. I mean, this is a church that needed a lot of growth, right? And so, he goes to in chapter 10, verse 3, he tells them, 2 Corinthians 10, 3, we are human, but we don't wage war as humans. Hello? We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and destroy the false arguments. Boy, of our society needs that. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God, and we capture their rebellious thoughts to teach them to obey Christ. King James says it this way, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down vain imagination, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing it into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That word in the Greek, stronghold, is a fortress. Literally means a walled fort. There are vain imagines. There are deceiving spirits from demonic forces that right now are capturing some of our leadership and people in these organizations, that they've got this stronghold. All cops are bad. They deserve to die. Let's defund them. That is a stronghold of thinking. Has there been injustice? Yes. But I've been in Mozambique pulled over by deceiving cops who wanted to rob me and put me in jail. They're strongholds and fortresses. So Paul says you can't fight this battle this way. That's why we got to come together as the people of God. We got to pray. We got to pray like we've never prayed. I believe that this election, I'm serious, I believe this election is so critical. It is, look. I'm praying for my grandchildren. I want them to grow up in a, in a country where freedom is free. You know, there, there really is a free nation. It's not under all of the deceptive stuff that's happened. There's been a lot of corruption that needs to be pulled down. The swamp really does need to be drained. People need to be held accountable. And so, 
Well, who's going to do that? God's going to do it. If we pray, if my people will pray, humble yourself over your own pride, your own arrogance, your own racism, your own negativity, your own judgments, your own bitterness, your unforgiveness. We got to repent for that because we all got it. I got it. We got to go there. We got to, as, as Lisa was saying, when, when you start to look at it, it's not pretty. But once we come and say, God, I'm, I'm a, a wretched man. I, I can't have this, God. You got to help us. He goes, give me that. And then what does he do? He sees and he hears because we've turned. We desire not to walk there. And when he sees that, in Second Chronicles, he said, I'll bring healing to your land. And guess what? There's plenty of history where the people of God got together and God gave them a reprieve. He said, look, I'll spare this generation. It'll come at a later date. Right? Even some of the wickedest kings, when they repented, he said, you won't see it. I'll, it'll happen on your grandchildren's watch because they won't repent. So there's a place where God can give us more time, right? And every day he delays. What did, he, what did Peter say? You think he's slack concerning his promises? Every day he delays, more people come into the kingdom. So he's a good and awesome God, but it's contingent. We have free will. You have free will. I have free will. We are going to be held accountable for what we do or do not do, right? And so we, we just got to come and we got to pray and ask God to heal us. So we want to operate from that place. So don't take the bait. We need to stay in our heavenly seat. <laughs> we need to study and meditate. Look at your handout. There's some scriptures here that are just powerful. Joshua 1.8. Meditate on this word day and night and you'll be successful. Second Timothy says, the Word of God is able to equip us. Second Timothy 3.16, it'll tell you what's right and what's wrong. We know that Jesus is the gate. I love what Vicky painted here, this, this gate, right? Jesus is the gate. And he says it's a narrow way and few ever find it. It's Jesus. He's the gate. John 10.10, 10, he goes on, he says, he came to give life in all of its fullness. He goes on and he describes more. He says, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the gate. So we need to stay focused on Jesus. No compromise there. It's Jesus and him alone. But we also need to understand that the word is the gateway. I, I loved what Bishop said a few weeks ago. He said, this is a window. You can look right into the kingdom through the gate of Jesus, through this window, this gate. This is a door. When you get in here and you start meditating and your spirit man connects with this, this becomes a gateway that reflects what's going on in your life and in mine. And that's why so many people, they don't, they, they don't know the Word today. It's really sad. They, they, we we got to spend more time in this Word as a gate and let the Lord meditate through us and show us by His power. So we need to pray, but we also need to fast. There was a great teaching. Um, I forget who put it up, but it was on Derek, Derek Prince sent, uh, before he died. It was about the power of fasting, how people have lost, walked away from that and he tells us, right, Jesus told us in Matthew 9 when he cast a demon out of the little boy and his disciples, the nine, couldn't do it. And 
He comes back and says, this kind goes out by prayer and fasting. There are different kinds of levels of darkness, and what this nation right now is facing is a very high level intended to destroy this nation, to ruin you, take down the economy, destroy the churches, stop religion completely. That's the plan of the enemy. And he's working overtime, and he's a high level, and guess what? He's got some people in high places cooperating with him. And the only way this is going to flip is when we come into that place in agreement with him and ask heaven's armies to infiltrate the darkness, pull down the deception, and show everyone clearly this is wrong. This is, and we got to have people in the right places. God's going to, he has them strategically there. But it is because of our choice that we can go there and ask him to do that. We've got to fast and we've got to pray. Jesus was accused by the Pharisees, how come your disciples don't fast? What did he say to them? He said, why would they fast when the bridegroom's with them? You don't fast at a wedding. You might even overindulge at a wedding, you know? And so he says, when the bridegroom is taken up, they will fast. Of course, they do, and we do. So I would encourage us, we'll, we're going to be picking some specific days of fasting and prayer. Now, it's not just uh, abstaining from food. When you abstain from Netflix and come to church on Sunday night, that's a fast. Hello? And so, I'm encouraging you that we're supposed to resist the devil and stand our ground. Look at, uh, in 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, let's go there. Another familiar scripture we use a lot in spiritual warfare. In 1 Peter 5, he says, in verse 8, stay alert. King James says, be sober. Hello? Be vigilant. Because your adversary, your enemy, your mighty enemy, King James says, your great enemy. Now, New Living says, your great enemy. Stay alert. Are you alert? Are you awake? Are you in high alert, or are you like, you know, no, just like, everything's really cool. <laughs> Be careful. Stay alert. Watch out. Your great enemy, the devil, prowls around. He's trying to find a way to jump on you. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's not a pretty picture. You ever see the, some of those kingdom movies we watch with my grandkids and the lioness is out? I don't know why the lioness hunts for the, for the other guys. <laughs> he brings all the food back to the guys. I guess I'm not going to go there. That's dangerous. Anyway, so he's, they're prowling around, right? And it's like looking for someone to devour. Well, what are you supposed to do? Take a firm stand against them and be strong in your faith. Take a firm stand. What does that mean? It's not, you know, if you're going to do a blocking move in football, you get down and you get low and you hit it with this shoulder, right? He's saying take a firm stand against him. That means you never need to be afraid of this devil. There's too many people afraid of the devil. I mean, if that devil could have killed me, I'm telling you what, the places we've been and the threats that were put upon me, I mean, like, good night. If he could, if he could kill me right now, he would. And when you give in to fear, you open the door to giving him something to work with because he can smell fear. But when you stand, in fact, he tells us in Ephesians, don't be intimidated by the enemy. It'll be a sign to him that you're not, he, you're going to destroy him. What does it mean when it says, Revela in, uh, 
Romans chapter 16, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. What did he mean when he said in Luke's gospel chapter 10 that when they came back, the 72 came back from their mission trip and they said, even the devils are subject to to us when we use your name. He said, I understand that. I saw Satan falling from the sky. I'm telling you, I don't understand that. But that tells me the second heaven throne room of where Satan is, when he talks about that in the church in Revelation, where he says, where the throne room of Satan is located and your church is there and you fought against him. He says, in in that chapter in Luke, he says, I saw Satan falling from the sky. You've got people on a, on a mission trip, two by two in a little village, who probably don't know too much about the gospel. There are no Bibles. They were saved by Jesus, and they said, now go out there and heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. So they go to a village, in the name of Jesus, come out, and they get healed, and demons flee. They come back from the mission trip like, and I remember doing that. The first trip's come back, man, you ought to see what we've done to the devil. And the, and the Lord said, you better watch out, son. <laughs> and he's, and we got, they get back and say, Jesus, when we used your name, they were subject. They left. He goes, I know. I saw Satan falling from the sky like lightning. That is second heaven destruction of the kingdom when you're working in the first level realm and you're defeating him in his kingdom and you're starting to erode the base of his hierarchy of darkness. That's what's happening in spiritual warfare. And so we see this in this realm of of what God is saying for us. Don't be ashamed. Don't be afraid. Then he goes on in Luke's gospel chapter 10. He says, you can walk among the snakes and the scorpions and you can crush them. I'm telling you what, if there were a pile of snakes and a pile of scorpions, I'm not walking on them unless the Lord tells like, but you, you can walk among the snakes and scorpions and just like, give me that hand right Does that sound like somebody who's afraid? I'm telling you what, Juan and Laura have seen more snakes out in Burgo on the farm. This guy has killed more. Every once in a while, in fact, one of my grandsons a week and a half ago is standing there his mom's in Texas. He's, he's holding the dead snake up. And like, I'm like, oh my gosh, that's a beautiful picture to send to her. How's my, grand, how's my child doing at the farm? Oh, just great. We're killing snakes. And so, now you have to respect them, right? You don't grab them in the wrong place. And Miss Addie's killed enough with a shovel. I prefer a shotgun. But the point of this is you are not to be afraid. The first time you start to get inclinations of fear, you need to understand God has not given you a spirit of fear. He's given you power, and He's given you love, and He's given you a sound mind. And we need to take a firm stand about, I'm telling you what, the other night, a couple, probably three or four weeks ago, we had sickness in the house. I had 10 of the 12 family members got, praise God, it wasn't COVID. We all got fevers and blah, blah, blah. One of them got tested. It was negative, blah, blah, blah. But we're like five days with Three grandkids, 10, 12, and 16 in the same house. Everybody's snotting. There were tissue garbage cans filled. I'm like, oh, Lord, help us, right? There's this place where all of a sudden there's sadness, despair. Everybody's locked down in the house. And like, we came here from Texas to be with them. Everybody, oh, my. And then they started, the kids are going at it. And I'm like, at one point I moved quickly from chair I wouldn't say I ended up in chair number three, but I was, man, it was bad. 
I put my grandsons, I said, I'm about ready to lay hands on y'all. And, and I'm just being honest, right? My wife came out and said, I got a hold of myself. But you know what? They behaved. Spare the rod and spoil the child. Or, I, I didn't have a rod, but I, I had it in the spirit realm. And anyway, what's the point? The, we, we, I went in at that point. I could feel some spiritual stuff going on in the house. And I sat back. I won't go into details, but the Lord brought a revelation that says we had three Sundays where witches came here under demonic influence. Some of you were here and saw what was going on. We, we dealt with that, took care of it. And then our intercessory team said, you know what? We need to start walking the property every Wednesday. So we've been doing that now for I don't know how many weeks now and just taking authority. And guess what? It's calm down in the spirit. Oh, you mean if you resist the devil, he'll flee? I think that's in the book. <laughs> James 4. Humble yourselves before God. Draw close to him. He'll draw close to you. Resist the devil and he'll flee. There's something about you're not coming into my territory. This is our land. And I just, I'm just going to tell you, I shifted. I pray every day. I pray, for, I pray for the congregation every morning. I pray for our staff, our elders. I pray. But there was this point where I realized, no. There's a different level of warfare that needs to take place in my house right now. I went into my den, and I tell you what, we had a time. In the name of Jesus, and I, I called out the Spirit, and I tore it down. You know, the next morning, the complete environmental shift in my house. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm being transparent. You think we're not, we don't go through the same war? We may go through some more difficult war, right? So, because of the things that we're dealing with. And so, what I'm telling you is, you cannot be afraid. This is not a time for fear. There is a reason there's no armor on the backside, because you're never intended to run. Face them head on. And so, stand your ground. When I say here, stand your ground, number four there, 1 Peter 5, Proverbs 18, 21, it says, there's life and death in your tongue. We are to pray without ceasing. We're to pray in the Spirit. This morning's devotional, Neil will love this. Neil is all about Holy Spirit, praying in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit. Well, we know in Romans chapter 8, in verse 26 and 28, but also look at Ephesians. You're there in Ephesians. Let's look back. It's in Ephesians 6, praying in the Spirit. Verse 18, Ephesians 6, 18. After he puts on the full armor of God, we're fighting against not flesh and blood, but principalities and powers. You can have the, the full, put on the full helmet, helmet of salvation, right? Verse 18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. King James says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto the perseverance of supplication for all saints. If you don't have the gift of tongues, pray for it. I just prayed for someone. We are doing prayer ministry. She wanted the gift of tongues. I said, well, she felt like, well, you know, I only have a couple of syllables and I feel embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. When, how old is little Rosalie? Is she nine months now? She's just started walking. She's doing all her gag. Man, when she started doing her little verbal, first, dad, I'm waiting for her to say papa. But anyway, when she was like, oh my gosh, she's speaking. And now we're over there. Come on, say this, say this, do this. We're encouraged by that. You don't think God, when he starts to see his children start to speak in that little language? Oh, they only got one 
Shaba, Yano Laba. Keep on doing it. I said, look, if you're embarrassed, close yourself up in your room, go in your car, and just start speaking to God. Start speaking in the Spirit. Release your spirit, man. Don't be embarrassed. Well, that sounds a little strange. It's in the book. It's in the book. We walk, we speak both with men's tongues and with angels. And Paul tells us over and over again, speak in, in tongues. He says in Romans, in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, don't forbid speaking in tongues. He says, I speak in tongues more than all of y'all. It's such a divisive topic. We may cover it. Such a divisive topic today. The many denominations, it says it's from the devil. It's not from the devil. It's in the book. Yeah. Study the book. Go on, just go on and look up tongues. Get all the scriptures. Study it. Pray it. You'll see it. And then he goes on and he says, it'd be good if you would all speak in tongues. Don't forbid it. All right. So what do we do? We want to stay alert. We want to stay repented. The last thing I want to say is purify yourself. Repent. All who have this hope in them will purify themselves. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 7 says, weapons of our warfare. He says, righteousness is a weapon. So purify yourself. Ask the Lord to show you what's not pleasing. All of us got areas of our life, language, judgments, stuff you watch, read, think about, criticize. Ask God to just show us what is it that is not pleasing to you. I give myself lots of grace, but I don't give others grace. That's not right. Not that we're going to wink at their problems and not call out, but we have to do it in love. And, and so we'll cover some more of that, I think, in the next few weeks about how do we stand. What's the boundary between passivism and not being passive? What is the balance there? There's loads and loads of Scripture on that. So let me summarize what we've said. We want to know the spiritual season we're in. We know that there's a spiritual battle going on. I've highlighted at least what I think are some of them. I'm going to invite you to come and be in prayer. You can come Wednesday mornings from 9 to 10.30 if you're not working or you're available. Sunday night from 5 to 7. But set aside every day, every day set aside some time. I don't know how you've orchestrated your, your routine, whether you're a night person, morning person, but get up and get quiet with God and find some time. If you drive back and forth to work, that might be a great time. If you've got somebody that you're not, you know, you live with someone in your house and then your spouse, your friends, have a Bible study with them. Get into a routine of getting the Word planted in us. So let's stand. I want to pray. Lord, take this hurricane craziness away from us. Lord, make it of no effect. We can use some water, but not flooding. God, protect all of our families, our churches. Lord, I thank you that um, those who had been diagnosed with COVID have survived and are thriving. And right now, are the numbers going down in the hospital? Praise God. Bishop who works there, the numbers are going down. So, Lord, we pray, Father, that there's a powerful immunity being released, the Psalm 91 blessing over every family, every loved one, that we live in the sheltered place of the no, Most High, and these plagues can't come on our dwelling place. Lord, I thank you that we've been able to meet together. There are many congregations that are still not back. God, I pray, Lord, that you'd continue to release an anointing for revelation. 
I pray for our city. God, I thank you. I pray that there was a positive march for the men in blue, women in blue this past week. I pray that we continue to honor and respect those in authority, that you identify those that are not honorable or have the wrong intentions. God, I thank you. I pray for our judiciary, for our mayors, our leaders who are getting ready for schools, what to do with our school and our children. God, we just thank you that with all of the challenges that are before us, let your light shine and let your people shine. Let the love that is in them be evident. Let wisdom flow from their mouths, not the contradiction and anger and hatred. Let's be a part of the great solution of God as not part of the problem. So I ask your covering and protection now over each family here that you'd make your face shine on them and give them peace. God bless you all.